Welcome to the March 8th Sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Lowell Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, and the sermon is entitled, The Truth in Love, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. I want you to turn with me to the New Testament book of Colossians in your Bible. We are moving one step forward in our study through the book of Colossians. There are four letters of Paul in a row in your New Testament, beginning with Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. We've called this the GE Power Company series, GEPC. Uh, three out of the four of those letters were written from a prison cell by the Apostle Paul. Paul also wrote Galatians, but he did not write it from prison. But the other three were written from a prison cell in uh, in Rome. He sent it to Ephesus and to Philippi and to Colossae. But as we are right now centering on the last letter of those four, we're looking at Colossians. We're in chapter 3 now. And as Paul is teaching the church, he reminds them over and over again that we're never to forget that this is our roadmap to the church. This is our roadmap to life. This Word of God, which we are privileged to hold in our hands and in our hearts, this is our roadmap. It keeps us on course as individual believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this Word of God keeps us on course as a ministry that we bind together to carry the love and the Word and the salvation of Jesus Christ out of these doors into the world, but this is our guidebook. This is our roadmap to ministry within the church and outside of these doors. When the Bible falls into question or the Bible is ignored in the leadership of the church, we will quickly get into trouble. The Bible is to be the centerpiece of everything that we do, and that is precisely what Paul is dealing with as he is writing to the church at Colossae. False teachers had gotten into the church teaching these young believers lies, teaching them lies about the very life of Jesus Christ, saying that flesh is evil, therefore Jesus could not have taken on flesh as a baby in the manger. He could have not have gone to the cross in the flesh. Absolutely, yes, he did. He took on flesh and he lived a perfect life so that we who are sinful in the flesh could be forgiven. He took our sin to the cross for our personal forgiveness as we acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior and the God of our lives. The Gnostic teachers were also teaching the church that there's a godly wisdom that we can develop in our own minds. We don't need God to help us. We have enough mind that it can evolve into a godly wisdom. Paul said that is not true. You need the Word of God in your life and in your heart and in your mind for leadership to live a godly life. So Paul sends this letter to the church at Colossae to lay down the truth and the stability that the church and the individual Christian needs the word of the Lord in our life. And this 2,000-year-old letter means as much to us today as it meant to the church at Colossae those years ago. It has not lost any of its truth. It has not lost any of its need for us to hear 2,000 years later because it is the inspired Word of God that was given to Paul. It flowed through his pen as a human being, but it is the Word that God poured through Paul to us, and I'm grateful that we have it. Now, although I want to move on through this study, get through the book of Colossians, today we need to slow down for three verses that are absolutely packed with truth. 
And I want us to get us all on the starting line as we open up Colossians chapter 3 here. In the beginning of this chapter, Paul says, if we are true believers, then we need to change spiritual clothes. In the clothing of sin, we have to take off that clothing of an old and a filthy life of sexual sin and greed and anger and wrath and filthy language. We need to take that clothing of sin off. But we never live in a void. If we take the clothing of sin off, then there is clothing that we are to put on. We lay that clothing of a lost life aside and we put on the clothing of Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Clothing that is clean, clothing that is pure, clothing that's not stained with our sin. And godly surrender to Him as Savior means that we will show kindness to other people. We will show the love of Christ to other people. We will see every person as a person of worth in the eyes of God. We will share forgiveness in the church. When we hit a rough spot with one of our brothers and sisters in the church, we will forgive one another so we can continue to work together in the gospel of Christ. We will have a true love for God. We will have a, a true love for one another. And we'll also have a true love for the lost people outside of these doors. So much so that we will have a passion to take the good news to them in the way that we live, in the words that we speak. So that set of clothes of a saved life should be our suit now. And we march ahead living the life of Christ within the church body as fellow believers, but also we wear that suit of a saved life as we walk out into that unsaved world to make a difference there. So today, we're going to look at three very beautiful and important verses for our lives and for the church. Go to Colossians chapter 3, go to verse 15. Three verses that are very important to us, 15 through 17. So hear these words. The letter to the church at Colossae, chapter 3, verse 15. Paul writes this under the inspiration of God. He's speaking, remember now, to the church body when he says, And let the peace of God... Rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. May God add His blessing to the reading of these three simple verses from His true Word. As we back up to verse 15, we see a major characteristic of the church that we cannot ignore. It is to be part of us. Paul writes this, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which ye are also called in the one body. The peace of God is to rule the church. When the world looks at us, when the world looks inside of these doors, what should they see? I believe that they need to see the love of Christ that's expressed in the midst of the body of Christ, which means we love one another, and there's a peacefulness and a unity and a harmony among the people of God as we come together as the church. We're all striving to live for the one Lord Jesus Christ. 
There's not one person here who's trying to push his or her personal agenda into the church because we're all living in harmony together. No one is working to be better than someone else in the church. We're all working together in the body of the church. We're equally united in a passion to want to lift up Christ as Lord and Savior within the church and outside of the church in this community and in this world. And we're equally united that every one of us wants to be a minister that we can serve him with the particular talents that he's given to us. Not all of us are called to preach a sermon. Not all of us are called to teach a Sunday school class. Not all of us are called to go into missions around the world. But every single one of us is called to do something for our Savior. And every single one of us, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, has at least one, and I believe most of us have many more than one, at least one talent that we're to give back to Him in service. And all of us are united that all of us, as the body of Christ, want to serve Him in the way that He calls us to serve. And when all of us do all of the things that we do with all of the talents represented here, there will be one full united ministry that flows from this place. But all of us have to be engaged in that. And all of us have to be active in that. And all of us need to be praying, God, how do you want to use me in the body of Christ? And how am I to give my talent that your word might go from this place. All of us are united together. In Colossians 3.15, Paul says, and this is a, such a neat verse, that peace rules our hearts in the, in the church. Peace rules our hearts. That's an interesting statement. The word rule is a verb. Peace rules us. And the Greek word for rule is barbeo. And it actually means peace is our umpire. Peace is our umpire. Now, what's an umpire's job at a baseball game? Well, I think any of you who are into sports know exactly what that is. The umpire calls the pitch either good or bad, strike or foul, at the plate. The umpire calls the runner safe or out at the plate. Now, in the Greek language... The word umpire means not equal. The umpire is not equal to the athlete. In other words, the umpire is above the athlete in authority. The umpire makes the final call. The ball is either good or it's bad. The runner is either uh, made a home or it's, he's out. One or the other. And the umpire's word is going to stand because he is the authority over the athlete. The athlete can't get up and argue with the umpire. I've seen that happen before. But that's not supposed to be. The umpire is the final authority uh, in, in the Greek language. When the church is true to the word of the Lord, when we're true to following the Lord Jesus Christ, the peace of God is our umpire. The peace of God is to rule and be evident among us. Listen, the presence of peace... In what Paul is saying here, in the construction of the Greek language, the presence of peace in the church is the Lord's umpire call, and it is His assurance that we're on track, that we're doing the right thing, that we're throwing the ball straight and true. The presence of peace is the Lord's call of assurance that we're on track, that we're doing the right thing. That's important. 
that we have the peace of God that is to rule in the church. It's the umpire's call that we're doing what God calls us to do. That means when we step away from the word of the Lord, when we decide that our will is more important to live out than the will of God, the church is going to lose its peace. And the church is going to lose its ability to reach out with the love of Christ and lose its harmony. And we will also lose God's umpire call of affirmation that we're doing the right thing. Does that make sense? The umpire's call of peace is his assurance that we are on track in serving him well. So the presence or the absence of peace in the church is the ruling of being in God's will or out of God's will. Now, I am thankful to tell you as the pastor of the church, from my vantage point standing here looking over the long haul of the church's ministry, that we are indeed a church at peace. And I'm thankful and grateful for that. As I see the wide spectrum of all we do, I'm thankful to see God's peace ruling among us. The umpire, the Spirit of God, is saying we're walking in His will. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. <laughs> that begins from behind the pulpit and moves forward. We're not perfect. But I believe that our hearts are in the right direction, that we're seeking to do the will of God. We have plenty of growing to do, but praise God, we are a church at peace. And I believe the umpire has called that assurance among us that we might continue to walk in his will and in his way now the last part of Colossians 3:15 says when peace is among us let's be thankful for that let's be grateful that God is giving us the affirmation that we're walking in his will that we're doing what he's called us to do that there's more growing for us to do and we're willing to surrender our lives to grow in the directions to which he points us it's a church at harmony and a church of peace that will move forward in ministry. And I believe we are right there on that line of moving forward on another day and another step in another way of growing the, the ministry of Jesus Christ in this place and in this community. And we move forward with the blessing of the umpire, the blessing of God. I want you to look at Colossians 3, the last part of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So we see, as we see that in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let this word, this word, the Bible, be magnified among us. Let it show us Jesus Christ. Let it dwell in us. Let it live in us. Let it give us the passion that we need to serve him. Remember now, Paul is battling against the lies of these Gnostic, G-N-O-S-T-I-C, Gnostic teachers in Colossae. And they were teaching that you can form a, a human wisdom that can become a godly wisdom. That you can use your own brain to figure out the things of God. And Paul says, no, that's not true. Paul says here, human traditions and man's evolving wisdom cannot, cannot guide the church. We cannot guide the church on our own intelligence or our own wisdom. But the word of Jesus leads us to be who we are supposed to be in the kingdom of God. And it is only this word that gives us the guidance that we need as we seek to follow him. Paul says here, this is our rock of absolute truth. This is our rock that we must stand on. This rock never changes. The moral code never changes. The word of God 
never shifts to the right or to the left. It's always true. It's always real. It always leads us in the same direction. It never changes. Well, let me tell you, friends, that little verse, that little group of words, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That is so needed in the church today. We need to concentrate on those few little words. We especially need it in the church in America. Let me put in a nutshell what I think is rampantly tempting the church in America today. In our world, in the culture in which we live right now, public opinion, man's thought, what we've developed as human beings, public opinion about sexuality and marriage and family and gender and godly living, all of public opinion has been changing radically and quickly. It's amazing to me how quickly public opinion is changing about the base issues of our life. And having been in the same pulpit now almost 38 years, I can't believe how it's changed so quickly in just these last days. But public opinion about the basic things of life, considering gender and relationships among human beings, it's all changing. We're, we're like in this sea of change, and the waves are rolling, and everything in public opinion is changing and developing and growing in other directions, and it's growing away from our God. It's growing away from His Word. Social mores that have stood the test of time are now being challenged and changed every single day. And we see the evidence in print. We see the evidence in social media. We see it on TV. If you watch TV after 8 o'clock at night, you're going to see the changes that are within our society because TV is a reflector of what public opinion is. Be careful what you let in your living room. And I don't think anybody can say that I'm stretching the truth here. We are in a changing, radically changing society. But what adds to the confusion is this. The centuries-old moral compass of America, the church, is changing as well. Many branches of the church now say, if we the church are to survive in our country, then we have to change to accept and affirm and accommodate what the public opinion is out there. If we don't change to reflect the public opinion out there, then we're going to die. We're going to lose people because we're living over and above a public opinion of what's out there in the world. So we have to change to affirm what's happening in the world in public opinion. And we need to rubber stamp that as being godly so we don't lose people. And that means then we will perform all marriages regardless of what that marriage might be. We will perform those marriages. We will affirm all kinds of people as clergy and leaders within the church. We can redefine what God says about a godly family. And from my view of the world, 
what I see happening is the reasoning of man has taken over the Word of God in the church in many areas. Now, I don't want to throw rocks at anybody. I just see that as the general flow of what's happening in our country. The church is stepping back and accepting public opinion rather than standing on the Word of God. And it scares me for the effect of the church in a culture that needs us to stand on the truth. Jesus said we're to be the salt of the world, the salt of the earth. Salt, as you know, is a preservative. It preserves food. It also changes the taste. So when Jesus said we're the salt of the earth, that means that when we go out of here today, we go out as change agents into the world. We're supposed to change the world through the love and the grace of Jesus Christ as we walk out as his people. But Jesus gives us a, a great statement about salt that loses its saltiness. And I believe it applies to the church. When the church, as the salt of the earth, loses its saltiness, what happens? Matthew 5, 13. I'm going to read this to you from the English Standard Version. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I think the church is in grave danger of losing its saltiness. With all the evidence that we see, we have to guard and protect the church of the living Lord Jesus Christ. So here in Colossians, Paul says, the word and wisdom of God is to dwell in us. It is our ruler, and no thought of man can take its place. Now listen to me, please. Listen here at this point in the sermon. Here's what I want you to hear. God says that we are to love all people. And sometimes when we say we need to stand on the truth of God and we need to stand strong on the truth of God, someone out in the world says, you know, that's hate language. That preacher is teaching that his church is supposed to hate people who are outside of this word. I'm not saying that to you at all today. God forbid that I would ever teach you to hate anybody. That's not, that's not the issue here at all. We're to love every, every person. I would never encourage the church to hate people. But rather, in true love and true concern for eternal souls, we have to stand on the truth. We have to stand on God's truth. We cannot change what God gives us as the absolute moral truth about human relationships and behavior. We cannot change it. We cannot run behind public opinion trying to catch the coattails. We are to stay and stand courageously right here. We love people where they are. We love them regardless of who they are. But our desire is to bring them the word of Jesus Christ and the love of God. Every single person is of unimaginable worth to the God of their creation. 
And the Lord Jesus, God himself, laid down his life on a cross to forgive every single person of every color, every nation, every background, every belief system. God laid down his life to save everyone because he loves everyone. And so do we. That's God's call in our life and in our church. But we cannot tamper with the truth. We have to stand strong on the truth. We cannot follow the fickle mind of man. We follow the eternal mind of God in his word here. That's our bedrock. This is our constitution. And this is what we stand on. We cannot dilute it or change it. He is the sovereign, he is the king, he is the ruler, and his word rules us. His word dwells in us. And we have to represent it well in love outside of these doors. Well then, Paul moves on to another form of the church's worship. One that affects the church today as well. It's a form of worship that is supposed to unite us and draw us together as we worship. It is called music. And I want you to look at these words. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, the entire verse now. Colossians 3, 16. Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Music, according to this word, Colossians 3.16, is supposed to unite us, draw us together. So you can see from the very first century of the church's life, singing was absolutely part of the church's life as it continues to be. And singing, according to this verse, serves two purposes. Number one, it unites us together in joy and praise. And number two, it teaches us the spiritual and scriptural truths of the Word of God. Two purposes of music. It unites us in joy, and it teaches us God's Word. I, I love the joy of praise music. And I also love the teaching and the scripture of the great old hymns of the faith. And they both have a place in the worship of the church. According to Paul, they both have a place in what we do. Isn't it amazing to you? It's amazing to me as I read this verse over and over again. Paul sp spoke 2,000 years ago to an issue that's still alive in the church, that music is supposed to draw us together in fellowship and then also in teaching. In all music, we seek to honor and praise and learn from our holy God. So personally, here's what I believe. And with regard to church music, this is what I believe. I believe our young people need to continue to learn the theology and the scripture and the teaching of the great old hymns. And I believe we oldsters need to let down our hair and do a little praise singing as well. I believe that all of the music of all of the church is to be bound together to lead us to joy and fellowship and learning. Again, I'm not criticizing anybody for the way they do church, but I believe that music should never divide us into certain camps. 
I believe, as Paul says here in verse 16, that it's supposed to bring us together in praise and learning together, not drive us apart. I like this and you like that, so let's worship different places. I believe it's supposed to bring us together as the church, as the youth learn the Scripture and the message of the great hymns, and as we learn to praise and honor Him and just sing with pure joy, and that's the reason we sing. We're to praise God as one camp, as one people, because this is in the same vein of unity of the church as Paul is addressing it. Look at verse 17. This last verse we look at today says this, Colossians 3, 17, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Paul teaches the church that in every ministry, every decisions made, every Sunday school lesson, every sermon that's preached, it has to be inspired and led by the Lord Jesus Christ. If we step out on our word, automatically we're going to step into trouble. I am so thankful to have a place in God's kingdom right here. I am thankful to work in the midst of a church at peace. Thankful to be called to serve the Lord in this community with this people of God. I pray, I pray that you feel the same way. That you're thankful to God that by His hand, if you're visiting here today, His hand led you here and we want to make you welcome. We're so glad you're here. But somehow God gives us a leading and a guidance that we're to continue to serve Him. And I'm thankful that He gives us a place in His kingdom's work. And for many of us, it is right here in this little community. How thankful we are for that. If we ever cease to be thankful, we will forget where we come from. We will forget the forgiveness that the Lord gave us. So let's pray together today that the Lord will always lead us, that we will never stray from this word. My prayer is that we will have the umpire's call of peace, that there's a unity and a harmony among us that we want to minister together and work together and worship together because we're serving the King who gave his life on a cross and walked from a grave that we may have life. My, my, my parting word to you believers is let's go out into the world to stand strong and tall on the Word of God and to go out loving people where they are in their need. You love them and you give them the love of Christ. Today, if you're here and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know we love you and Jesus loves you. And if you've never put your life in His hands, you need Him because he tells us in John 14, 6, that he's the way and he's the truth and he's the life and no one will come to the Father but by him. So he's not a way, as some of the world says. He's not an option. He's not a good suggestion. He's the Savior. And if you've never come to him, you need him. And he loves you. He wants you. He's moved the mountain of sin through the old rugged cross that you might be forgiven. Today, you come to this altar. He went publicly to a cross. I believe we need to publicly come and just say, Lord, I want you as my Savior. Yes, I receive you. You come today. Church, 
Will we stand true on this word? Will we let it dwell in us that as we leave, we'll go to love people? Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these precious moments in your house and in your word. Lord, I pray that in all things we will seek to be unified. I pray, Father, that we will stand together, walk together, pray together, work together, worship together, sing together, love you together, that we might be the church that's ruled by your peace. Help us, Father, be a a church that's in harmony, unity, walking under the Word of God, under the grace of Jesus. Help us to hold your word and hold the love of Christ true and strong as we leave this place. For that one who needs you today, Father, I pray that he or she will simply come with a yes, I need Jesus. He is not just a way, he is the only way. And I come to him now. Church home, whatever the need, Lord, bless us in these very precious last few moments of a worship service. In a moment of decision, bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.